0: Good morning, Remnant Church. Come on, who's been growing in the last few weeks? Raise your hand if you've been growing. Oh, yeah. You know why that is? It's because God cares about your growth. We care about your growth. Collectively, as a body, we care about each other's growth. Sometimes, growth looks like growing deeper before it looks like growing outward. But ultimately, um, you are called oaks of righteousness according to your scripture. And God's building this house to be a strong house. Amen. It's his house. Yeah. Amen. This morning, I want to remind you of something. You are a wellspring of life. Do you agree with that? Yes. God is abundantly pouring out his spirit into your lives for the purpose of your life being poured out for others. Have you been seeing God make impact in people's life? according to the ways that you've walked. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so, because that is the goal. Yeah. Church, throughout this week, as we've been advancing, as we've been going out, as we've been excitedly anticipating all the Lord is desiring you to, to do, He has as well been impressing a word on our hearts for us and you all this morning. Church, today, this morning... The message that we are going to preach is titled, Walk Away from the Mainstream. Before we get into this word, how about you begin to turn to Exodus 15. We're going to spend our time in Exodus 15 this morning. And in particular, the reason that we titled this message, the title that it is, is because that's what I felt the Holy Spirit speak specifically to me this week. Who's ever had an, a time in life where they're walking and all of a sudden they stop and they ask themselves, what the heck am I doing right now? I had a moment like this this week. <laughs> and when I stopped for a minute and asked, began to ask the Lord, Lord, what would you have spoke, uh, what would you desire to speak to me? I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me these words, walk away from the mainstream, the word "mainstream" is a hot word in this time that we live in. When you think of the word "mainstream," you think of the word uh, news or social media or culture or this or that, and it is all of those things, and it is much more. I'll give you a quick hint in today's message: we were never meant to drink from the mainstream. Exodus 15, verse 22. You there? All right, let's walk through 22 through 27. Then Moses, led by Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. What happened before this, by the way? Israel is in a time of the exodus. They're exiting exiting out of Egypt, and if you look in your Bibles, they were just singing a song about something. They were singing a song about being delivered from the Egyptians. That the Lord literally split the Red Sea and they watched it swallow their enemies. Isn't that something to be excited about? Yes. The following verses, this is happening in verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses. Wow. Saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands, and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Eliam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees,
1: and they camped near the water. You guys ever... um, You guys ever feel like you heard a joke before, and they tell you the punchline before the actual joke. Like somebody laughs about something they said, and they're like laughing so hard, and you like don't understand, and then they proceed in this long, extensive joke. John Hart does it all the time. (laughs) It's funny and annoying all at the same time. He's one of my favorite brothers, I can say that. (laughs) Um, Listen, that's what today's message is, is absolutely going to be. We are going to tell you absolutely what god is speaking to every one of us in this room before we ever even before we ever even get into all of the rest of the content because we don't want you to feel like you're having a track with something for so long that you can't keep up with it all the way to the end there's some there are some who are Bible scholars in this room, and there are some that feel like they're just now getting to know the scriptures, and that's okay because every single one of us started at a different place in this, and we're all at different places now. We want to make sure that every single person in every stage of maturity, knowledge, and wisdom in their walk with Jesus can, can track with this today. Pastor Devin already said it. He said, you were not, you were not meant, and you were never meant to drink from the mainstream, You were never meant to be pleased with it. You were not meant to abide forever at healthy springs either. We'll get to that one later, but track with me. You were meant to take Canaan as a fulfilled promise and vision. Canaan being the promised land. They come out of Egypt, many stops in between, right? Forty years, lots of... Lots of thing, people or things within us that die along that travel before you ever get to the promised land. But we were, that's where we're meant to end up, is at Canaan. And so whenever we hear in Exodus chapter 15 about a place called Mara, which means bitter, yet at the same time, it's the waters that God made sweet. Or we hear about a place called Eliam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. These are the places that are steps along the road, along the travel that we have with Jesus. Now, we want to propose this very idea to you today. That Mara is the bitter place where God inserts his nature to make it acceptable for your consumption. What time in your life, think about the time in your life where your life was detestable before God's eyes. And you knew it. You knew that your life was not what God intended it to be. For some, it might be right now. We're gonna walk through that together today. For some, you can remember that day a few months ago or a few years ago. Nonetheless, whichever one of us, whichever one of these categories we feel like we fall into, we definitely fall into one of these. Every single one of us had a time where our life was detestable before God and he loved us enough anyways to insert himself into the situation to make it acceptable. But Mara is waters that are being healed like we are being healed. We are made acceptable and consumable, right? Because of his healing nature getting inserted into something that was polluted. Has he done that for you in your life? He has done that for me in my life. And we want to make sure you know that's a great place to end up after you exit out of slavery and your bondage to sin in Egypt. A moment of salvation with Yahweh in the wilderness when you don't know what's next is necessary in your walk with Jesus. Eliam is the place of nourishment, health, shade, comfort sustainability much different than mara mara was considered one spring or one fountain coming out of the ground that was disgusting and god made it sweet not just for their pleasure but so that they could survive they had left is they had left egypt left the bondage of slavery and sin not knowing what would come next on a word from God spoken through a physical man named Moses. That's why most of the time they don't get angry at God in the book of Exodus. They're always mad at Moses. And yet, in this moment, God makes what was bitter and unconsumable for them something that was salvation for them when they thought that they couldn't make it another day in the wilderness. Eliam, though, is waters that are healing. It's not the waters that are being healed. They are the waters that are healing. Without getting too far into it, this is something that God has revealed to the pastors and leaders of this church and other churches who we love very much that that's the very thing that we are. God has revealed to us that we are one of these streams of Eliam, yet that's a great place to stop at, and I don't just mean geographically, right? I don't mean that every single person in this room ought to get up and leave from this church in the next 12 months or 24 months so that you can go do something. I'm saying right here, your life does not end right here in this room with these people. Does that make sense? Eliam is a place of refreshment, nourishing, 12 springs, 70 palm trees, vision, all of this stuff from God. He's given you vision and direction for where you're going next. It's a bad place to stop. Canaan, though, is the place to be taken for the glory of God, a standing promise and vision to be fulfilled. Canaan is the land with many waters, but inhabited by the wicked. So often as pastors, we want to get all of us to Canaan so quickly that it's disappointing when we haven't made it there yet. Come on, most of us in this room, maybe not most, but a good half of us in this room have known each other for a long time. And it's one of those things where we're like, man, why aren't we there yet? Why am I not there yet? Why is he or she not there yet? Why is their family not living in these promises? Why do we not see this this spiritual, godly violence in their heart that wants to go and take the land and be victorious? It's like, oh, we're stuck at Mara. Oh, we're drinking from the streams in the Nile still back in Egypt. I thought I was or I thought he was out of Egypt but in fact he's actually sitting in Egypt still drinking of the mainstream in the Nile or he's still drinking from Mara talking about just how good that moment of salvation was but never moved forward these are the kinds of things that we want to unravel with you guys today take notice of this though you cannot get to Canaan that fulfillment of the promise if you don't leave that which is healthy, nourishing, and a blessing to you. That's a hard word to receive, and I know it. But it's the same reason why in the Hutchinson's life, they found themselves at many healthy, godly, life-giving works, and God would move them to another, and to another, and to another. That kind of faithfulness is what saved me in a moment when I needed it most. You cannot get to what is healthy nourishing and a blessing to you if you do not leave that which is a hindrance and has to be miraculously invaded by the blessings of God to be made acceptable for your consumption. That's a good word. That means you're going to have to open up your eyes as we said today in the song, open up the eyes of your heart and realize that your personal salvation story is one tiny little piece of this whole thing that's going on. You cannot be talking about Mara the rest of your life. The time that God inserted himself into your little pond in the wilderness and made your bitter water sweet. That is a really good start to a story. It's a really bad place to drink from the rest of your life. That produces no fruit. You cannot get to bitter waters being made well unless you leave what completely enslaves you in Egypt. We heard a a word this week, rather we read a sentence in a book, that said Jesus will save you from your enemies, but not from your friends. Think about that for a minute. Unless you have declared war with that which enslaves you, you probably will not see yourself saved from that. The kind of deliverance, I mean, not just a moment of realizing, oh, Egypt's bad, I shouldn't be here. I'm talking about picking you up and carrying you out in safety and splitting seas so that you can get out of there. I'm talking about that kind of deliverance comes from a declaration of war in your interior world that says this bondage is no good for me. This slavery is no good for me, and I can't even get to that story of salvation, or rather, places of nourishment and empowerment and teaching and, le- and everything else until I get out of Egypt. It's a good word. saying, some of us are a long ways off from Canaan. but if you are faithful to listen to what He tells you to do and what we are echoing the heavens in right now? then we know that every single one of us will be together there at the finish line. So where are you today? Are you completely enslaved still? Would you rather make friends with your sin? Is it harder to declare war over your sin than it is for you to have somebody come in and say, hey, wake up. Hey, you were made for more than this. Are you satisfied with that which you know was detestable, Mara, but is now acceptable? It, it's a good thing. Salvation is great. We all needed it, we all still need it. But are you just satisfied with that and that alone? Did you see Israel stay in Mara the rest of Exodus, or did they move on? Are you satisfied in Eliam and forgetting the vision of where we, we are really going? That we are not building another super church in DFW for large crowds to gather at and everybody to come and make some guys on stage as superstars. That's, those, that's the guys that camp out at Eliam the rest of their lives. They're making superstars out of streams and then going and building their houses before they ever even get to Canaan. It's a good place to start. It's a bad place to finish. So to those who are in Egypt, we say get out of Egypt and flee. Those who are in Mara, we say move on. There is so much more. And those who are in Eliam, you are being strengthened and refreshed, but do not forget the promised land Canaan. We're first going to start unpacking just what Egypt looks like and what you and I and any one of us that this applies to can do about it. Amen? Y'all begin to turn to John chapter 6, and Pastor Landon's going to take over. John chapter 6, verse 53. There are a lot of verses in John chapter 6.
2: You're lucky we're not reading them all. Pastor Kaysen wanted to start in verse (laughs) 1.
1: That is not true. That is not true. (laughs) Who said that? Are y'all in verse 53? Can y'all hear Pastor Landon okay? Would you like it louder? Louder? Okay.
2: Louder for those in the back.
1: This is so good.
2: You think the cattle could hear me in the fields? <laughs> All right, John 6, 53. It says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna, and they died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. Watch this, he said, he said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, well, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Have you guys ever said that before in response to one of your pastor's messages? I have. I have. That's a hard word to hear.
1: I I don't think I can do it. I was mad about it. I went and talked to him about it. Only the brave ones do that. I said, that hurt my flesh.
2: On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? For the Spirit gives life, and the flesh counts for nothing. My flesh got hurt with what pastor said. Well, Jesus said the flesh is worth nothing. The Spirit's the one that gives the life. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who still don't believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and would betray him. He went on to say, this is why... I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him.
0: In John six, the Jesus and the disciples had just finished feeding 5,000. They're now in a synagogue, and Jesus is preaching a message. And this message is beginning to stir the hearts of men and women in that place. But hint this: it wasn't just the lost people, it was His disciples. That were bothered by the message. True. Think about this: you have five thousand people, people in a room, some believers, some unbelievers, and your rabbi, your pastor, your teacher begins to preach something like, "Eat my flesh and drink my blood," and they're disturbed by this because they're still growing in their security of who Jesus is to them. Later on, Jesus asks them, "Who do you say I am?" And they come to realize that He is the Christ. The Savior, the Messiah, the one who was to come. But even in this moment, could you imagine how many times they were probably even questioning what was coming out of Jesus' mouth? What man considered a hard teaching was one where Jesus questioned two things Is the things that you currently feed your soul with really true food? Number two. Is that what you currently drink, is it really true drink to you? Does it really satisfy you? He looks at them and says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And this begins to disturb them. Jesus states clearly that I am true food and I am real drink. And if you do not eat my flesh and drink my blood, and if you do not eat and drink of anything else but me, you have no part with me. That is a hard teaching. To state this clearly, church, you will never find true purpose outside of him. You will never receive true life outside of him, and you will never find complete satisfaction outside of him. All else is slavery, even if you have worked hard to make your captivity captivating to you. Wow. Oh, listen to that. Say that All else is slavery, even if you've worked hard to make your captivity captivating. There's many of us who stand in this room still slaves and victims to sin in our life, but it's so beautiful to us at this point, we don't even know we're slaves to it. But Jesus loved us enough to come and preach a message like this, by the way. Every time we read John 6, it gets a little quiet in the room, it gets a little awkward. But remember, we receive abundant life in Christ. This isn't a doom and gloom message. This is actually love from the Father. He's being real honest with you. Has anybody had Father figures in your life that are real honest? Yes. Did it bring life? Yes. Jesus is being upfront with his people. He says, unless you eat and drink of my blood, you will have no part in me. You will not find true life, but yet you will be like a slave in captivity, no matter how captivating your gel cell might be. Jesus is calling men out of captivity and into abundant life and into a body who now feasts on his body. Jesus questioned the very thing that all men and women need in order to live, food and drink. Verse 63, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they give life. Amen? Amen. Yet there are some of you, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which one of them did not believe. Isn't that crazy to think about? That Jesus is preaching this message. Could you imagine if you had the responsibility of preaching your father's word and you're looking into a crowd and you can tell, Who and who doesn't believe what
1: you're saying right now. Now, pause for a minute, because whenever, oftentimes, many of us have read John chapter six, and we look and we see, he knew from the beginning, which of them did not believe we, who does your brain immediately go to Judas, Judas, in the Greek, this is not singular. This is plural. Jesus had many disciples who leave him in this moment. Many people. In fact, most people who stood before him and were called disciples of Yeshua, the rabbi, the teacher, before they even ever recognized him as Messiah, just simply his teachings, they could not receive it. And that's why he asked, if you can't receive what comes down from heaven... How are you going to receive what goes back up to the heavens? Think about that for a minute. If you can't receive what is manifest in the flesh right here in front of you, what has been made clear and obvious to you, how are you going to understand the things of heaven? This is our opportunity, church. You have to understand that there might be some among churches. In fact, there are definitely some according to these statistics with Jesus in John chapter 6. There are many in churches who actually do not believe Him the way that they say
0: they believe Him. Friends, just because you gather to Jesus and hear His teaching does not mean that you truly believe in them. Belief turns into action. For Jesus knew from the beginning which one of them who stood in front of Him did not truly believe ultimately. Jesus, this morning, is calling for a sobriety- clarity in this room, not an appearing to be with Jesus, not just a mere gathering of those who are interested in his teaching, but we must be a people interested in making disciples. We must be a people interested in being like Jesus himself, making Jesus our nourishment and making our lives concerned to be for him and his people. Let me remind you this morning that his desire for us is to step out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Step out of the grave and into abundant life. But in order to do that, you must be honest with yourself this morning. Are you still in captivity? Are you still slave to the things in which entangle you? If you are, get the heck out of Egypt. Is the stream in which you have been drinking full of pollution? You you will always become what you behold, what you see, what you observe, and what you glean to will absolutely leave a mark on your soul. What waters are you drinking from? Is it the mainstream, the most accessible water that you can get, or is it the water of life that he has set apart for you? What was once a spring, what was once life within you becomes polluted the day that we concede to drink the mainstream everyone else is drinking from. But you, you were never
1: intended to drink from it. If you're doing that selfish, that, 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 I'm sorry, that honest self-examination right now. If you're doing that honest self-examination right now and you are coming out with the conclusion that I might be in Egypt still. Listen to this. In James chapter 4, it says, but He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You have to recognize that He, the tempter, the one who confuses you, the one who is against you, you have to actually recognize him and mark him as enemy. If you resist him, he will flee from you. Draw near to God then. That doesn't mean just push away the devil. You're going to have to actually draw near to the one who gives life. You simply not participating in sinful behaviors or in demonic things, or in other religions, or in other spiritual things, other than Jesus himself, that alone does not save you. You must be near to the one who you call Savior. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you're curious as to whether or not you're near to God, it says that if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Do you feel his presence in a powerful, tangible way every day? Do you feel like you are walking as a friend with God? Do you feel like he is, that he knows you and you know him, and you're like friends who meet together on a daily basis? If not, then you might not be friends with God. You might not be near to God. And that's not a rebuke to you. That's a challenge that he wants you to be his friend. He wants you to be near to him. So wake up, take an honest assessment of where you're at, and go be friends with the very creator of the entire universe. It's what he wants. It says that you must then first, in verse 9, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter, that mocking laughter that thinks it's funny that you're in the situation that you're in, Turn that to mourning. That stony, stale heart that you have that doesn't get upset about the sin that you find yourself in over and over again, he has to break that thing up. The thing that's numb whenever you do the same sin that you should be disappointed in, but now you're not disappointed in it anymore. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. And listen, He will exalt you. Who are you that Yahweh Himself will reach down from the heavens and pull you up and exalt you? We don't even exalt Him that well. And He's going to reach down and pick you up and put you up and exalt you before the people. That is incredible. You must humble yourselves first though that you might receive from him the life that he intended for you. You guys are
2: family, right? Before we move out of Egypt, we have to face something. We have to face the fact that some of us like our sin, and we like it a lot. It's time to face the fact that we, that some of us, might have made what you could call an unbreakable bond with Egypt. So much so that it turns into things like this. We find ourselves liking our depression. We end up falling in love with our lustful thoughts. You'd rather be miserable than be free. You'd rather be angry because it gives you this drive than to be joyful. You just like it your way. What does James say? That's pride. That's selfishness. The Lord will not work with that. Now notice that I said he will not work with it. I didn't say he cannot work with that. He chooses not to work with that. Think of John 5. We're just in John 6. Think of John 5. The pool of Bethesda. There's that man who's been ill for 30 something years. And the moment that Jesus walks up to him, what does he ask him? Well. Do you want to get well? Well, duh. Of course I want to get well. Do you though? Why would Jesus ask a, an invalid who's been sick for, I believe it's 38 years, why would he ask a man who's been sick for 38 years if he wants to get healed? Because Jesus knows there's something deep down inside of our flesh that continuously robs us of joy, and it robs us of the desire to get free, and it robs us from all these things that can in turn be life-changing for you. But you love your sin too much. So you sit back and you let the enemy take hold of you and enslave you and put you in chains. And you will never, ever see the light out of the door that leads out of Egypt.
1: In terms of sin, maybe, just maybe, consider today that your lack of healing in a certain area might not be because he's not faithful. Yeah, Imagine that. Maybe you didn't want to be healed all that badly maybe some part of being pitiful and sitting next to a pool waiting for some supernatural thing that is actually not really stirred up by God to heal you and you can go crawling with the rest of the invalids for this for to be the first one to get in the water when did Jesus ever heal or ever favor the strongest and the fastest to get to the water has he, all, has he not always gone for the weak? Yes. The poor? Yeah. Those who can't do anything for themselves? What kind of competitive sick system have we created in this world that says if you, just pull your up by, if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps well enough, then maybe you'll make it? Guys, number one, that does not work. I don't care how many inspirational speakers you hear on Facebook or YouTube. It doesn't work. Number two is that If you want that healing, you need to go and humble yourself before him and say, I am sick and in need of healing, and only you can provide this life. And I want nothing, I want no part in the life that has to do with being sick in this way. That's good.
2: Church, the Lord will not deliver you out of something you don't actually want to be delivered from. He will not take you out of Egypt unless you want to be free. You can't even get to the bitter waters of Mara in Exodus 15 if you're not willing to leave the slavery you find yourself captive in. We have to choose to trust the Lord and let him heal us so that we might leave Egypt. Listen, leaving Egypt does not mean you have it all together. Leaving Egypt does not mean you have to reach a certain checkpoint on the holiness list for you to leave slavery. It just means that you want to bad enough where you're saying, Lord, I will give up anything and everything. Take everything that I have. I have to be free right now. Amen. And when you do that, that door out of Egypt opens. And you do not have to be healed to walk out of Egypt. Healing will come on your journey, and that's why trust is important. Because if you don't trust the Lord to heal you, then you just won't be healed. Let's look at a few ways that this appears in some of us, this, um, this I, I call it this false identity. Some of the ways that we tend to mask the fleshy desire that we have to stay in Egypt. Faking the joy you put on every day. Putting on a good attitude until you get back in the car after church, where you continue to pout and be miserable. Pretending that you're delivered from things that still enslave you on a regular basis. Ooh, I got free from that sin a long time ago. I have not dealt with that since. Liar. In reality, hiding your sin is being apathetic to it. What about this one? Pretending you no longer have an anger issue until you just can't pretend any longer and you have a moment. Moment. A moment that might not be as in the dark as you wanted it to be. <laughs> the Lord says stop. Just stop. Stop it. Stop being miserable. Actually, no. Check out what James says. Be miserable and mourn. Let that false identity and that, that fake reality that you try to live in and set yourself up in every day to fall off. And that looks like a heart of stone turning into a heart of flesh. Yeah. And when your heart of stone turns into a heart of flesh, you, don't, you aren't apathetic anymore. When you're not apathetic anymore, you break in front of your father. You become miserable over your sin. You mourn over your sin. What does James say? Turn your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves. When you are real with your father, he will be real with you. When he is real with you, the door to Egypt, door out of Egypt, opens wide, and you see nothing but sunlight on the other side. If we would only actually let the Lord create a desire in us to be free from our sin and from slavery, instead of wasting the air in your lungs with empty words telling everybody it's all good, then he'll turn that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. There is a greater grace, as James says, that the Lord gives to help us accomplish this. But that greater grace can only be experienced when we lay our filthy garments at the feet of Jesus and watch him turn them white as snow. Do we have your attention this morning? (laughs) Let's move into Mara.
1: Sounds a little more fun. We just thoroughly covered what it might be like if you're in Egypt right now. We want you guys to be able to wake up to the reality that you might be in Egypt or you might be in Mara and staying there for far too long yeah. you don't even have to turn to exodus chapter 15 with me if you're not there just listen because we want you to give special attention to this you got it exodus chapter 15 verse 22 says when they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter that is why the place is called marah so the grumbled So they grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Herein lies a huge theological flaw in the hearts, minds, and lives of many, if not most, Christians. We say oftentimes in our hearts, the salvation of this flesh of mine is the ultimate, greatest, and final work of God in my life. My salvation is the beginning, middle, and end of this experience with Yeshua, and everything else is ancillary. What does ancillary mean? Ancillary meaning that all other activities in Jesus, post-moment of His intervention, like Mara are purposed only to point back to the original moment of that intervention. Yeah, that's a good word. Do they get to Canaan and keep testifying about Mara? No. It was another thing along the way. Yeah. Reality check, church. This is bad theology. If your entire life containing all of its actions is purposed only to give evidence that Jesus' work purified that which was once wicked, then you've severely missed the purpose of the redeeming work of Christ. And you might be sitting at Mara wondering, what on earth is the purpose of my life? All I, know, I just go to work and say, Jesus saved me from my sins. Come on, guys. If this is not the entire life I grew up in, I don't know what it, what it is. Go to work, Jesus saved me from my sins. There is so much more than that. we got to wake up. This is much like staying at a place in your faith, always testifying to how wicked your flesh is. Do you find that in your language? You're always talking about how bad your flesh is. But thank God for the blood. Man, I am. Um, A sick, nasty jerk to my wife. But thank God for the blood. No. Thank God he purified these waters. We might as well forget about Canaan and everything else in between. Because see, he purified these waters. We cannot live a life in the mainstream. What do we mean by mainstream? The stream that is most commonly accepted, most convenient to stop at, and the one that is consumed by the majority of the people. People progressively died off while in the wilderness before they ever actually got to Canaan. This was one of the first places where they were given water when they needed it. They left Egypt, they had a couple other stops along the way, but this was the spot when they were going to die of dehydration in the desert that God first provided them water. Much like our story of salvation, personally, right? We recognized something was wrong in the way that we were living and the environment we were in. We stood up and we walked out of it and we were like, oh, crap. What's next? I don't know what's next. All I did was try to leave that thing. And then, boom, he comes in and he gives you water when you least expected it. But the mainstream becomes that, those who stay there longer than they were supposed to. Consider how Mara can be that place called a mainstream. It's a redeemed pool of water that a desperate people who cried out to God received salvation from. Does this not sound like the mainstream Western church message? Hyper-focused on praying a prayer for a salvation from your bitter life, camping out by Mara, asking you for your tithe money to come and experience a salvation moment, but no direction and how to spend the rest of your life walking with him. I'm going to sell you this salvation prayer right here. Come and come drop your tithes and offerings over here. We're going to give you a message on how you're going to get saved. Making a marketplace out of Mara. And providing you no vision and no direction for your life. This is mainstream Christian media and life right now. Mara is a required stop in the trek out of Egypt. Do not get me wrong, but it is a terrible place to, st- to stop at. Why? It's simply not Canaan. I have no other reason for you. It's just not Canaan. Just like your moment of salvation... Not not only is there nothing wrong with it, it was required. I was wicked. I was bitter. I needed to be redeemed by Christ's intervention in my life. Just like everybody else. But it's simply not Canaan. How can you be sure? How can I be sure? That our lifestyle, our theology, and our states of mind is not stuck in a wrong place or a place that it wasn't supposed to be at anymore. Ask yourself this. This is how. Is this the Canaan I was promised? Ask yourself. Or am I a man or woman on a journey with my friends and Yahweh himself? Listen, it is a great testimony how God took your life. In a time of being spiritually destitute and how He made you alive. It simply isn't the end of the story. Believe me, there is so much more that Jesus purchased for you than you staying in the desert, testifying to the moment of salvation at Marah, and never moving on to the refreshment of Eliam and the promise of Canaan. Proverbs 25. Verse
2: 26 says, Like a muddied spring or a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way to the wicked.
0: Think about what that proverb just said. Like a muddied spring or a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way to their own wickedness. It's clear message this morning, church, that there is no time left to sit around and sour in our salvation. Most of you know this. But some are still doing it. A righteous man has no longer place or belongs within a polluted well. Jesus Christ's blood paid for so much more than muddy waters that the mainstream will provide to you. But if you give way to a stream common to man, you will become as polluted as the waters themselves. If your life is defined as bittersweet, You have not yet left Mara. Your life in Christ must look as free and as free as one who goes from glory to glory. It must look like forward movement. And if it doesn't, you may be sitting in Mara. And if you say to yourself, Where am I? Why is my life bittersweet? Today is a day to move forward. What is common within Christianity? is a righteous man that over time gives himself over to wickedness because he settles for less. That's right. Church, you were made for so much more, do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And God did not provide supernatural water along the journey for his people to remain there. The truth is, when you live in a place like the Negev, like the desert, you can easily convince yourself that this must be it. It was something like two to three days after they were delivered from, from Egypt. They were singing songs of joy. They were excited. And, but all of a sudden, they got a little bit
1: thirsty. And the first moment that they saw water, they ran after it. Can somebody with a little knowledge tell us how long you can survive without any fluids or water at all? Three days plus, maybe, if you're lucky. Oh, we got a couple nurses and stuff in here. How long, how long can we make it without water? Three days. Isn't that interesting? Songs of praise, songs of deliverance, coming out of the bondage of sin, and you dried your mouth out because you were singing too many praises. <laughs> and now you're like, oh, He's not that good anymore. It's been 72 hours, and I don't see a miracle yet. He must not be a faithful God. And then, boom, He saves you. Come on. (laughs) The point of
0: this is salvation is good, amen? Amen. But it's not the final destination. Just as these people came from Mara, they see waters that are good to be drank because God made them good. But it's not the end. Church, if we are not careful, if we give way to drink from this mainstream, His purposes and this narrow narrow road that we are called to walk on will become that much more muddy. Are you ready to walk forward this morning? Are you all still with us? We have your full
2: attention. Good. Continue with us as we keep reading in Exodus 15. We're coming to Eliam. Verse 27. Then they came to Eliam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. What a beautiful sight after a little muddy puddle of water in the middle of nowhere. You got 12 different streams and 70 what I imagine to be humongous palm trees for thousands and thousands of Israelites for some shade. I want to point out some immediate similarities here before we start thinking Eliam is the the place that it's it. Some similarities between Mara and Eliam, they're both located in the desert, the same desert, the Negev. The word for desert in Hebrew is Midbar, and Midbar means a dry or sterile place, a dry thirsty land full of fruitlessness, a land that cannot reproduce. Two places Mara and Elim both are located in the same desert, and both of their streams are surrounded by the same backdrop nothing. Dry, weary land. Yet within those two locations, the Lord does two different things. In Mara, we saw that He gave evidence to the fact that Jesus' work purified you from your wickedness. Amen. Mara is part of the mainstream. That the Lord purified for you so that you then had an opportunity to move forward in your journey with him. We've been talking and we will continue to harp on this. Move forward, move forward, move forward. There is no stopping. What is that Pastor Mike likes to say? If you find yourself stopped in the kingdom, then you're really moving backwards. Because there's only moving forward in the kingdom. Mara is part of the mainstream. The Lord purified for you so then you had an opportunity to move forward. Eliam, compared to Mara, is like a dreamland in the middle of nothing. Imagine you're out in the, what is like Sahara Desert, for example, for us, right? You're in the middle of the Sahara, and you just see 12 humongous springs, an oasis full of water, and big palm trees. And you're like, I have made it to heaven. This is it. <laughs> I have made it. I've gone three days without water. The water the Lord did give me. He turned sweet, but it really wasn't that good in the first place, but it just got me by. And you come to what you feel like is probably the most glorious sight since you left Egypt. An oasis in Elim full of 12, twelfy, full, I messed that up there, didn't I? Full of 12 healthy streams of water and 70 palm trees for shade. An opportunity to start flourishing. An opportunity to start growing in the knowledge of your redemption and your salvation that you received in Mara. Yet you were still never meant to stop. Alem's where you are refreshed, encouraged, and nourished with the Lord's blessings. And you can deem this part of the journey as uh, the spirit filled life. You, can, you could, if you wanted to, dub Aleem Remnant Church. Remnant Church is one of the 12 springs in Eliam. Globally, it's one of the 12 springs. Remnant Church is a spring. It is one of the streams. If we're being completely honest, there aren't many of us who can say we actually reside in Eliam. But the goal today is that all of us would continue to move forward step by step with the Lord and our brothers with our compass pointed towards Canaan, because we do not stop. Eliam is just another step in the journey, and it's another step on the journey towards Canaan. Turn to Jeremiah 17.
1: When you get there, look at verse 5. Say a Liam, if you're there. Liam. Liam. Come on. Here we go. Jeremiah 17, verse 5 says Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any. Good, come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and, and is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. Think about this with me for a second.
2: In Eliam, there's an abundance of everything you need. You name it, it's probably there. It's a refreshing place. There's abundance for the sons of God in a dry, thirsty land. Kind of sounds like Denton, doesn't it? A dry and thirsty land, yet there's a pocket where there's a remnant of people who live in a place like Eliam and are choosing to see it as a resting point versus a stopping point. A resting point so that you can grow, so that you can be refreshed. But let me ask you, why would you ever wanna leave if you have all the things you need? (laughs)
1: Listen
2: to the descriptions of this type of life that we live in Jeremiah 17. You have found your trust in the Lord. There is nothing else to look for. You found your trust in the Lord. You are like a tree that's planted by the living water. Out of all people, you are the one that does not have to fear when heat comes. Your leaves always remain green. You do not have to be anxious when, in the midst of a desert, a drought comes. Because you're taken care of. You are surrounded by fruitlessness, but you don't fail to bear fruit. That sounds amazing. This is like the spirit-filled life that we live in. We grow, and we are nourished, and we are refreshed, and the Lord continues to supernaturally provide for us day in and day out. Why would anyone ever want to leave something this amazing? Because there is a mission that still needs to be fulfilled. There are thousands and thousands of people in the Denton area alone, before you even start thinking nationally or globally, that need what this body has. Eliam is where the Lord gives you direction for what he wants you to do next. This is why it's important that this is a resting point, not a stopping point. This is where you've come from Egypt, you've left your life of slavery... You walk in tomorrow, you receive your salvation. You receive your birthright from King Jesus himself and said, he says, you are a son. Amen. Yeah. Now walk with me. Continue your journey through the desert and I'm going to bring you to a place called Eliam where you can grow. And I'm going to put men in your life. I'm going to put fathers in your life where you can glean from them and learn from them and watch how they live their life and you can learn from them. Eliam is where he shows us the next steps. On top of all this, it's important for us to realize that this life is not about us. Because think about it, Eliam seems pretty comfortable. It seems like you've got everything you need. You've got your memory foam mattress. You've got your 96-inch TV, your surround sound system. If you're fancy, you have the dimmers on your light switches. You sound pretty comfortable. But this life's not about our comfort. This life's not about us. The Lord might bless us with some comfort along the way, but we're meant to give that comfort away to somebody else who needs what we have, who hasn't even stepped out of their Egypt yet. You're going to meet people along the way who are in Egypt, who are in Mara, who are in Elim, and you're going to have to minister to all of them. And the beautiful thing is the Lord's taking all of us together as a church on a journey out of Egypt to Canaan. So we're all going to have been there at some point. And that's a beautiful thing because Elim is where we grow so that we are properly equipped for the next step of the journey. It's where we're properly equipped for the next phase of our mission. Whether that is here for the next 80 years for some of us. Or it is in another country or another state. What happens when the Lord, when you're like, man, I'm called to be a remnant the rest of my life. And the Lord's like, 20 years down the road, hey, go to India we got a work going on in India. You'd be a big blessing to them. You need what they have, and they need what you have. You're like, but Lord, you said 20 years ago I was supposed to be here. Yeah, now I'm saying you're supposed to go there. If we get too comfortable, then we become numb and apathetic, and we tune out the voice of the Lord because we've made the decision for the Lord saying, this is it for me. This is it for me, and we cannot afford to be there any longer. We have to realize it's a resting place. It's not a stopping point.
1: Go ahead, Pastor Casey.
2: I can ramble all day.
1: (laughs) You can tell we're passionate on this subject today. We um, We are zealous to see every single soul who is a part of the family of God and is especially a part of this local family, this local work, to feel that excitement and that zeal to move forward in your life. Listen, what Pastor Landon was just saying is that unless God gives you a ministry to do, and I don't mean like an organization that you file with the state, I mean like if he gives you a ministry, a work to do here in this land, unless he gives you that or you're a part of a group of people who are equipping God's saints here at this local church so that they do go somewhere else, unless you are a part of that work, or you're a part of doing a work here in this community, you should not stay here at this church forever. That's a hard message to speak, especially as a pastor to a small little church in not right? We love yeah, We don't want anybody to leave personally. But if we sit here and set up shop in a Liam the rest of our lives and we never look forward down the road, then we become a threat to you living out your entire life's calling. Yeah. You are not ownership. You're not under the ownership of your local church. You're a part of a family that is doing a global work that is touching every continent, every nation, every state, every county, every city, every square foot of this earth where people reside. And we're going to see the revelation of the sons of God, as it says in in Romans chapter 8, come to every land and every people and see them come to life in Christ just like we've been able to come to life in Christ Yeah. y'all stand up with us we're going to close this thing out you know what Canaan is you know where you're going you know you're going towards Canaan we're not going to talk to you about it today that's for another day and another time but are you still with me yeah. I got one last thing for you and then you can go enjoy your lunch together let me ask you again where do you find yourself in this process that we talked about today? Are you in Egypt barely living on the testimony of your friend's freedom and hoping someday you'll have the life that God promised? Are you still at Mara, still testifying to your first few encounters with God, not making much progress but wrongly content with the fact that He saved you when you didn't expect it? Or are you in Eliam? or right here at Remnant Church, but you have forgotten that there is more to come than a life that is pleasant at a blessed stream you can drink from and then dream of someone else continuing the mission. To be stuck in any one of these places is to participate in a mainstream, right? If you're still in Egypt, that is a mainstream of overt sin. You are proud of your sin. It's time to wake up and move on. on. Jesus came that you would be free. It's time to walk in that freedom. It's not easy. We didn't say it was going to be easy. We just said it's awesome. (laughs) It's time to get up and move on. If you are stuck at Mara, you might be drinking from a mainstream Christianity that somebody sold you a lie in. That all you had to do with your life is to live the normal American dream life. Get your house, get your career, get your salary job, get your health insurance, get your fancy car, get your retirement plan put together. And then go and tell everybody that you're a Christian because you prayed a prayer one time and then you die. There is so much more than that. That is drinking from a mainstream American dream Christian life that we've been sold. Or, if you're at a Liam, if you're at a Liam, you might be drinking from the mainstream ministry life. Hey, Hey, the stream is good. It's fun at the stream. We're dancing, we're having fun, eating plenty of food, drinking plenty of water, in the comfort of the shade of these palm trees. But how often can we turn a calling into a career that we never end up actually moving on from? What was supposed to be a family that empowered us to live out a calling now becomes a corporation of people that are lifeless but hey at least we got the good stream we got that good famous preacher teacher at our church church none of us are living for this ask yourself today which one are you at we are believing that by way of the holy spirit you're going to come to that revelation today and you're going to move forward Amen. Because we're not going to sit here and make an altar call happen so that you can come and do it right this second. Because you can come up here all you want, and if you don't do out there what we're talking about in here, then it doesn't matter anyways. You have to go home and work this out with your spouse. You have to go home and work this out with your sisters and with your brothers in the faith. You have to go and work this out with your kids. Let me tell you today, there are wells to dig in Canaan. Amen. There are wells to dig in Canaan. There Amen. are fields to plow in Canaan. There are houses to build in Canaan. Get out of Egypt. Stop camping at Mara and test your comfort and maybe, maybe have some vision to move on from Eliam. We've got promise to get to. We've got the increase of his government to see. We've got influence to spread on the land. Mara is sweet. Eliam is exciting, but Canaan is coming. Listen, Canaan is coming if we all move forward together today. We tell you again one last time today, leave the mainstream and together with our God, we will see the fulfillment of every promise. We will see a life of freedom for everyone who comes after you, a life of deliverance from death, a life of nourishment and growing vision. And finally, a race that has run all the way through the finish line, not to the finish line. Are you ready to run through the finish line? Yes. Come on, let's pray together. Father God,
0: we say we love you, Lord. Lord, and what we want to do is spend our lives on behalf of you and your people, God. Lord, if we've been drinking from the mainstream, Lord God, I'm asking that you begin to purify our hearts and minds once again. Lord, I come against all types of apathy and blindness, Lord God. Lord, to the things that are actually destroying us and killing us. Lord, I'm asking, Lord, that today this church be a church of action, Lord. And we would go home and discuss with our families in what ways that we can walk away from the mainstream the most accessible water, the things that we think fulfill us in that moment, Lord. Well, we walk away from it now, Lord God, and we move forward toward the promises that you have for us and your people, Lord. Lord, that your kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven, Lord God. Lord, and we won't let it pass us by, Lord. We want to take part in it. Lord, today I'm asking, Lord God, that that your people would be moved to action, that our feet would be moving forward. Lord, and as you spoke to me, Lord, you would speak the same thing to our church today. That you say, walk away from the mainstream. It is no place for us anymore. Lord, I'm asking today, Lord God, that you continue, Lord God, to give your church vision. Lord, as we move forward in completing your works, Jesus, we just want to say we love you. Lord, we thank you for your grace, Lord, Lord. We thank you that you empower us to do your works, Lord. Lord, that your grace is sufficient for us, Lord God, that you forgive us and that we move forward in victory. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Y'all enjoy food?